are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Uh, Hey, how's everybody doing this morning? Good. All right. All right. So look, I'm excited. And if you don't know why I'm excited, here's honestly why. All right. This is one of our first Sundays where we got a, you could tell summer's getting a little bit closer to the end. All right, so you thought summer's getting a little closer to the end. We're all starting to gather back up together. And I miss seeing like a lot of y'all together all at one time. And so what's up? I hope you're having a great morning. Also, thank you for just being with us. I mean, you know, hanging out, all that good stuff. Uh, real quick, I know y'all all know me. Everyone in here knows me. If you're online, right, and, and you're watching this later, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor. Y'all hear me say that every week. And I always have this little thing in my mind that's like, I'm a little insecure saying it because y'all are probably like, bro, we all know you. But it's not for you, okay? It's for someone else. Um, hey, what we want to do today is we want to go ahead and continue our time in worship uh, by jumping into uh, the word, our sermon. And you guys hear me say this consistently, right? This is where we're going to engage in the word of God, and we're going to ask God to meet us here uh, as we, we, we search his words. This isn't just going to be a time where we say, okay, God, teach us something about the Bible or something about you, but rather... Through these words, Holy Spirit, meet us here so that we can actually experience you, so we can draw strength and, and, and encouragement and, and even life change from your presence uh, and, and endow, do something in our lives. And so you hear me say that every week, really to give you the encouragement, not at this moment to start kind of like, like kind of checking out, but rather in this moment to kind of start pressing in and saying like, God, what do you want to do in me, right? Build up a sense of expectation, God, Tune my heart and ears to, to what you're saying through uh, your spirit and let that be the thing that actually I hear and actually begins to engage with me, okay? And so today, uh, having said that, we're gonna go ahead and continue our uh, sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes, right? We all know Ecclesiastes, if you were up in church, it was that weird book that's right after Proverbs. It's very dark and ominous and a little creepy. And, and if it was, you know, I, I don't know if any of you guys know about the Bible Project. Does anybody like the Bible Project? Okay, all right, a a spattering of hands here. Um, In the Bible Project, they make these really neat illustrated videos, and and in one of them, they make uh, this video with Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. I think Job might be in there as well, but they paint Ecclesiastes as this sort of like like ominous philosopher, dark, and kind of like surrounded by shadows. I like that because I feel like that's how we we process or the way we come at Ecclesiastes, right? It's kind of dark. It's kind of ominous. It feels like it doesn't seem like it checks out with the rest of the Bible or at least what we've heard in church. Yet, when studied well, Ecclesiastes offers us this powerful wisdom that wakes us up from the haze that we often find ourselves in, a haze of indulgence, a haze of uh, dependence, a haze of spiritual misguidedness uh, that we oftentimes find ourselves in just living in a broken world, right? And so, so that's the value of Ecclesiastes. Now, this is our third week here. First week, we kind of processed chapter one, and we, we took in Kohelet, the author of uh, Ecclesiastes. Kohelet. Everybody say Kohelet. That was really good. I'm not going to lie. That was really good. Okay, so Kohelet's thesis statement, right, which is that everything under the sun is hevel. This idea of a cloud or vapor, right, that everything under the sun, right, you can't really gain anything from it because it may appear to be this sort of like like sturdy, substantive thing, but the moment you try and grasp at it, you start to realize there's not actual substance to it. 
And his main question there in chapter one is, man, what, what, can, what can man, what can humanity gain from our toil on the earth if everything is heaven? Now, that was first week. Second week, we explored Kohelet's tour, right? He takes us on this tour of pleasure and achievement. He says, well, here's what I found out when I was trying to achieve everything that I could and when I was trying to get as much pleasure as I could. And ultimately, we find out, like, like many of, of Kohelet's other teachings, that it's all what? Hevel. There we go. All right, that it's all hevel, right? That it's still this lack of substance thing that appears to be satisfying but isn't actually satisfying. And he eventually invites us to understand uh, that our best bet in life is to, to seek to please God, ultimately leading us to the front door of the gospel that Jesus has pleased God for us, right? Now, in, in the third week in Ecclesiastes, we're, what we're going to be focused on is Kohelet's view of, like, his vision of time, right? His, his view or vision of time. And, and that we're, what we're going to ultimately see is this, right? That in time, God offers us both a severe mercy and a beautiful gift, a severe mercy and a beautiful gift. Uh, to see this idea a little bit better, right, well, we're going to be breaking this text down into three ideas. The first one is time's reign, like time's rule, right, as, as, as kind of like kingship almost, time's reign. The second one is our desires, our desires. And then third is God's gift, right? So time's reign, our desires, and God's gift. Okay, so for the sake of time, let's go ahead and jump into our first point, time's reign. And we're going to read those first eight verses again, okay? Uh, they're going to be up on the board. You can, I mean, on the screen, you can read them with me or you can um, read them in your own Bible. But they start like this. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. I know y'all heard that one during COVID. Um, a time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate a time for war, and a time for peace. All right, so that's a lot. But as we start today looking first at like time's reign, right, time's rule, uh, what, what we want to do is, is take a look at, at Kohelet's introductory poem, right? He, he starts us off here in this section with this poem, a series of opposites meant to really paint a bigger picture for, for us, right? Specifically, this poem uses... Uh, a literary device called mirrorism. It's right there on the board, right? Say mirrorism. All right, we're going to do that again because I don't like that. All right, so it's called mirrorism. Everybody give me a mirrorism on three. One, two, three. All right, that's really good, right? So, so what mirrorism is, is it's meant to, to build a picture of the whole by putting two opposites together, right? You oftentimes get this idea in a phrase like high and low. I searched high and low. Now, let me ask you a question. When you hear me say, I searched high and low, do you think that I only searched high and I only searched low? No, what is it? That I, where, where all did I actually search? Everywhere, exactly, right, right. You also get this idea when you hear someone say, like, like flesh and bone. Are you actually only flesh and bone? 
No, right? Your, your water, your blood, your all kinds of things, your eyeballs, right? Like all kinds of stuff. So it's not that you're just flesh and blood. It's that flesh, uh, it's that your, your bone and flesh, it's that, it's that bone and flesh create these kind of, of ends of a spectrum. And then you and your imagination fill in everything in between. And in this case, Kohelet's using mirrorism, this idea of opposites, one right after the other, to paint this picture of the entirety of life, right? The entirety of life, that there's living and there's dying, there's planting and there's uprooting, there's killing and there's healing, there's embracing and there's, there's not embracing. And each of these sets, right, builds these categories of life for us. The first four kind of have this idea of life and death. The, the, the second, like kind of like the, the, the fifth and the sixth are really about emotions. The ones after that are about intimacy. After that, uh, possessions, then wisdom, and then really big choices on both personal and corporate levels. And what Kohelet is trying to tell us here is a bit of wisdom that if we're not ready for it, right, painting this picture of life, if we're not ready for Kohelet's wisdom, it can really discourage us. So I'm embracing you for it now because what Kohelet wants us to see is this. Verse 1, right, we're going to read that again. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under the sun. Meaning, through the course of your life, as time passes, you will, hear me, inevitably, inevitably see the beauty of life, see the cherished things in life, See, see encouraging things in life, and you will just as much inevitably experience the darkest times of life and the hardest times of life. You will experience high moments. That's a guarantee and it's a promise. But what Kohelet wants us to see is that you will also, just as likely and just as much of a promise, right, receive and experience dark and difficult moments, right? And this is what this whole thing is trying to build out. If there's Love, you're, you're bound to experience heartache at some point as well. If there's excitement through the course of life, you're bound to also experience discouragement. If there's joy, you're bound to also experience sorrow. No matter what you do, the reign of time, right, time kind of just marching on uh, over us will make sure that you experience the full gamut uh, of what it means to be human, living in a broken world that God created initially is good. So you will see and experience good things, but you will just as much see and experience dark things. Now, for some of us, we're not overly bothered by maybe these statements, right? Maybe, maybe you've grown up facing hard times. You're very malleable, right? And so maybe you are comfortable in good times, but, but you become adjusted to expect hard times as well. But there's another group in here, and if, if I was... A betting man, I might bet that it was the group that probably makes up the majority of us in here watching whatever the case is. And that's who Kohelet is probably most talking to. And that's those who hear that idea that you are promised to experience frustration and, and the dark and, and discouraging and, and hard times of life. And instantly, emotionally, internally, you press back on that idea. Right? In a couple of ways, right? You start thinking to yourself, man, I don't want that, not me. I don't want anything to do with that. I want to live a life that tries to avoid these type of hardships as much as me, as much as I can, I should say. And then maybe beyond that, you start saying, well, on top of that, Josh don't know me, right? Like, I'm a hard worker. I work super hard. 
I'm as successful and I want to be and try to be as successful as I can be. I work to make sure everyone around me likes me so that I can never experience any relational downs, right? Everyone that loves me really trusts me and I really trust them. I work and give everything in order that I will never have to experience any of these dark moments. But here's Kohelet's response to that. And I want to say it again lovingly to you. His response would be, none of that matters. None of that matters. Why? Because it's not you who establishes the times, right? It's God who establishes the times. Look at verse 11, just down after, a couple verses after verse 8. In verse 11 of chapter 3, Kohelet says, he, that is God, he has made everything appropriate in its time, right? So initially, Kohelet starts in verse 1 saying, Everything really, there's a time for everything. And he makes it sound like, yeah, you're going to experience all these things. But if you get through those first eight verses and you're like, no, I'm going to give everything I can to avoid all of that as long as I can. He doubles down in verse 11 and says, well, you can't. Why? Well, because, because God has made everything appropriate in his time. What does that mean? What does it mean? What does it say about God? Well, here, here's the, the best thing that I could come up with in study is that God in response to the brokenness and lostness of the world, has established time to both give and take away. God, in response to the brokenness and lostness of the world, has established time to both give and take away. I mean, let's just go back and look through some of these categories that this poem lays out for us. Right in in verses 2 through 3, those first uh, four um, contrast, right? You think about the fact that they're, they're talking about life and death for the most part. Who, who, it doesn't matter how long you live. No matter how long and how much you give to the idea of staying alive, what is everyone's inevitable endpoint? Death. Right? You're going to die. And the thing is, saying this, people hate this idea. Right, people spend millions and millions of dollars trying to figure out how they can live forever. And if not live forever, then, it just, then just live a little bit longer, right? Just a little bit longer than they would have. And verse four comes out, it talks about emotions, right? Verse four uh, specifically says, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. We all know that there are times of joy, right? Those times absolutely happen. And in the snap of a finger though, Uh, those moments of joy can be penetrated by the experience of sorrow. I'll never forget my daughter's first birthday. It's January 29th of, uh, man, what was it, 2018, 2019? Um, We all had made a plan to get together at my house, and it was going to be my mom, my dad, me, my wife, and obviously Leah, my daughter. Jude wasn't around at that point. and it just seemed like my dad was running real late. And if you know my dad, you know, like, he's a pretty prompt fella. Uh, if you tell him to get somewhere at 5, he will show up at 4.45, right? So um, it was really weird, and there was, like, this big question mark about where is he at? I kept calling him. He, he wouldn't answer, and I thought to myself, well, my dad sometimes, you know, he'll misplace a phone or something. Uh, until all of a sudden I got a call back, and, and it was his number, and I thought to myself, well, maybe this is him saying why he's running late. He'll be here soon, and it was a woman's voice on the line, and she said, your dad's been in a major car accident. Uh, He used to drive a bus, and someone hit the bus, and it went off of an overpass um, into, I want to say Mopac, right? And she simply said, it's pretty serious. 
you need to get home. You need to get to the hospital as soon as you can. On the day that my daughter turned one, joy and, and almost in the snap of a finger, sorrow and fear and anxiety. Right? This is the type of thing that, that Kohelet's trying to paint for us. You just think about one more, and this one, I, if you laugh, it's okay, but I also want you to take it seriously, right? Verse 5, many people that think that verse 5, many scholars think that verse 5 is talking about intimacy. There's an old Hebrew writing, like a commentary to uh, wisdom literature and to the law, the Pentateuch and the prophets, um, and it speaks of a time to throw stones as being the time to be intimate with your wife and the time to collect stones as the time not to be intimate with your, life, with your wife. Uh, and then all of a sudden that checks out because the, the second part of verse five is what? There's a time to embrace and a time not to embrace, right? And, and so here's the thing. Uh, any young person in here, right? Any young single person in this room right now that's trying to faithfully follow the Lord can read that statement in light of what I just said and be like, man, I feel that, right? And to be like, man, I know the feeling of being bunched up with like a bunch of, uh, we'll say intimate frustration, right? And understanding a couple kids here. Intimate frustration. And to just feel like, man, I really need to get this. All right, right. They, you do. But then to be honest, there's also a group of us that are married that went into marriage thinking to ourselves, this will kind of call or, or, or this will pacify and, and subdue and, and really fulfill all of my intimate desires. Only to find out that that is not what marriage does whatsoever. And so the frustration that the single person feels, all of a sudden the married person feels as well, but just in a different way, in a different context, right? There's, there's a time where you'll, you'll have these things available and then a time where you won't. Verse 6 talks about possessions, right? There's a time to seek things out and a time to count them as lost. There's this reality that you will pursue the things that your heart desires. And then unbeknownst to you, there may be a time where those things are stolen, they're lost. And all of a sudden, the thing that you longed for is the thing that's now gone. All of this points to this reality, that time is the great equalizer in all of it. Time is the great equalizer in all of it. No matter how hard you fight for the things that are going to be positive in your life as you perceive them, no matter how hard you want those things to bring you life, the reality that Kohelet wants us to see is you are just as likely to experience the opposite of those things, no matter what. And that's why in verse 9, he says, what does the worker gain from his struggles? Right? He restates the question he's been asking us the whole time. Right? Where, what is there to gain from the pursuits of life, knowing that death is around the corner, knowing that pursuing joy, uh, you will inevitably experience sorrow, knowing that, that the gain of possessions will inevitably uh, lead you to losing them at some point. And if you don't lose them now, you can't take them. And at this point, you might be thinking to yourself two things. One, man, this Sunday's whack, all right? This is not my kind of Sunday. I'm, I'm not feeling this whatsoever. But two, if you're tracking with, with, with maybe where, who, you, who you have perceived God to be your whole life, and the way I'm kind of describing this text right now, a part of you is probably also asking a question like, why? Why, why would God do this? Right? Why would he, he give us these things, then, then let time take them away? Why would he fill me with desires for certain things and then let time take them away? Is it all meaningless, right? Is there no purpose or, or reason for me to want these things? To which I would respond, I think Ohelet would respond, 
No, 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 no. That, that's not the point he's trying to make at all. In fact, our desires have a deep purpose and a deep meaning, but it may not be the one we always attribute to our desires, right? Check this out. Uh, look at verse 11 as we think about our desires. In verse 11, he has made everything appropriate in its time. That's God. He, God, has also put eternity in their hearts. He's put eternity in our hearts. In other words, he's placed the concept of something bigger than us innately in us. He's put the idea, the feeling, the instinct. There must be something bigger than me, bigger than my life, bigger than the world, bigger even than time. There must be something bigger than that. That's why for the history of humanity, humans have worshipped something, right? Because there's the innate idea that there must be something bigger than me out there. And you see those desires we talked about before, those, those desires, they're supposed to be this little trace element in those desires, right, that tells you there's something more, right? And so when we interact with joy, right, with intimacy, with possessions, uh, when just life at large, they're meant to be signposts that point us back to the beauty and majesty of God. But, but the thing is, Right? They're supposed to point us back to, to, to the joy that he promises, to the commitment and faithfulness that he, he lives by and offers us, to the riches that are his, right? the, the, all of that. It's just that for life in a broken world, what happens is that these signposts oftentimes become broken signposts. Right? Hear me. God created them to be signposts for you and for me so that when we partake and engage in them, they would, they would interact with the part of us that innately knows there's something bigger than me, and they would begin to interact in a way that signposts us back to looking at God and going, man, who are you? What is it that you desire to do? What is it that you're doing in me? How do you desire me to live? What's your plan for all of this beautiful creation that you say you have made and you have a plan for? But because of the brokenness of the world, these signposts now are a little bit broken. They're, they're a little bit messed up, right? Rather than, than being straight, they kind of have this weird bend that starts to point them back in different directions. Maybe they point to themselves and say, no, joy itself will be the thing that gives you life. Or maybe they point back to you and say, man, your, your experiences are the things that truly matter. But the point of it all, right, is that they, they tend to now, now be mutated and start to point us in directions that aren't God, right? And, and now they, they've lost their true purpose. And while our desire for these things was always meant to interact with the, again, the eternity that God has placed um, in our hearts. In order to point us back, right, this is why we get this idea of why would God do this with time? Right, because I, I want you to take a look at the screen. I want you to read along with me when I say this, because time, that giving and that taking away, is the severe mercy, the severe love of a God, of God to dethrone the idols that we set up in our hearts. I want you to hear me say that again, right? Time, that giving and that taking away is the severe mercy, the severe love of God to dethrone the idols that we set up in our hearts, right? Through the process of giving and taking away the things that were supposed to point to him before, but now point to themselves or point to us are forcefully through the work of time, humbled and brought low, and we're brought back to the place of needing the only one who actually fulfills, who actually satisfies God himself. 
right? What we may perceive as harsh, what we may perceive as, as unkind, hear me, is actually God's mercy because of the broken world that we live in, where idols are everywhere and our hearts are often hardened and our mind is often darkened. Instead of letting us aimly grab away in the dark, looking for fulfillment, God lets time redirect our attention. How powerful is that? I want you to stop and think about the fact, uh, just the image of how beautiful that is, right? That God sees us grabbing away in the dark and broken world that we live in, looking for some type of fulfillment, looking for anything that would make our hearts come alive, even just a little bit. And rather than sit there and go, man, I hope he or she finds it in some way, God graciously and mercifully institutes time to be this thing that, that ebbs and flows that says you can have this for a moment because you were always supposed to have it. You were always supposed to experience it because it was always supposed to point you to me. But, but because these things naturally, by way of the brokenness of the world, start to point you away from me, time will also take them away and bring you and low you and, 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 and kind of lay your desires bare so that they can point back to me because I desperately want what's best for you. I desperately want what actually fulfills you. I desperately want what actually makes you whole. I desperately want what actually brings you life. It's like the Charles Spurgeon quote that I have, I have found to be one of the most profound set of words I've ever heard. I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. So now, right, having said all that, hopefully now you're, you're maybe getting a little bit different perspective of this time thing, right? Getting a little bit different perspective of what this looks like. Um, but maybe now you're also asking, so all I have to do is think eternally, right? Like if, you've probably heard that before. You, you've gone to church for a minute, you know, the ones, those of you that have, and you've probably heard someone be like, yeah, man, you got to think with eternity in mind, right? And that's not untrue. Um, but here's the thing, not quite, because verse 11 finishes like this. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He's also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from the beginning to the end. In other words, we can't understand what God is doing because Kohelet understands that our, our minds struggle in this area right, that, that I, can, I can lay out, all right, Kohelet, right, the scriptures, the Bible, can lay out all of this mercy that God is bestowing on us, and we still look at that and go, I don't, I don't get that. I don't know that. I don't even maybe want that, right? Like, like, maybe I understand it for a moment, but overall, because I can't see the whole picture, the beginning and the end, I'm still struggling with this. I'm still angry. I'm still frustrated. Some of you right now are probably like, man, I'm not feeling this whatsoever. I, I don't like this at all. Why would he do any of this? Why would, why would he tear down idols, point me to himself, but not let me fully figure it all out? Why couldn't I just figure it out? And here's what I think Ecclesiastes 3 gives us. I think disagree, man, feel free to email me. I'll have a conversation. But this is what I think it gives us. 
I think that he puts us in that position from what I can see Kohelet saying, to invite us into something better than having it all figured out, but to invite us into rest. Rather than inviting us into having it all figured out, he invites us into rest. Better than the type of rest we can get on the mountaintop, rest in the embrace and assurance of his power and his goodness and his love. Right, look at verse 13 through 15. I want you to see, see how Kohelet kind of rounds this out. Verse 13, he says, it is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There's no adding to it or taking from it. In other words, I can't add to it, and I can't take from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Whatever is has already been, and whatever will be already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. That's going to be a kind of tie-in to the next section. We'll get to that, I think, in a week or two. Right, this idea of finding rest in him, to finally sit and say, I'm going to enjoy the gift of your hand because whatever you do, I can't add to. I can't take away from it. You're good. You have me. You've instituted time. Right, I'm in your hands. There's nothing I can do to stop you. There's nothing I can do to change things. I don't have it all figured out. But at the same time, Kohelet sees this vision of our life where we, we eat and drink and rest in the idea that God is in control, trusting and knowing he's good and he has this. He has me. He has the world. He's going to reconcile it. He's going to make it beautiful. How? I don't know, but I'm trusting him. And in that trust, there's this rest. And that's the rest that is actually God's gift to us in the midst of all that. Right, this rest that finally brings us to the place where we look at God, hear me, and we say, you're it for me. You're it for me, and you're enough. I don't know the future. I'm under the tyranny and the reign of time. Everything that I've propped up in my heart to try to bring value to my life seems like it's gone. But even in the midst of that, one thing remains. And when, not if, but when all other things fail, the good news here is that you will still be here. And, when, and because you're still here, you're enough. You're enough for me. That's God's sweet gift here to us. Family, to lead us back to him, but to give us rest in that, to introduce us to himself in a way that says, man, let me care for you, right? Understand the things around you were never meant to be the things that satisfy you. They were meant to be the gifts I give to you. And as I give them to you, they're meant to point you back to me. And in me, you find the gift that your heart so desperately deserves and your heart so desperately needs, right? A beautiful gift as the result of a severe mercy from the hands of a good God. That's, that's what Ecclesiastes 3 invites us to. But let me ask you a, a question. It's going to be, I think, my final question of the day. You're probably like, thank God, right? Let me ask you a question, though. How many of us actually do this? How many of us actually do this? Right? How many of us feel the tyranny of time Right, that reign of time, that it ebbs and it flows, it gives and it takes away. And we feel our desires through that time get laid bare 
and all of a sudden we find ourselves turning to him or feeling the need for him, running to him and actually finding rest in him, right? How many of us actually do that? And I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands here because really what's gonna end up happening is, is either you're going to be lying or you're a fool. Because the reality is, I don't think very many of us do this. Rather, so often what happens is, is we, f- we find that, that kind of, that reign of, of time that strips us bare and that lays into our desires and, and leaves us needy and leaves us wanting. And instantaneously we think, I'm gonna pick myself back up again. I'm gonna continue on. Right? We, we don't want necessarily to rest in this idea that God is in control. We want to be in control. I don't want necessarily to understand or to think that God approves of me. I want to go and earn someone's approval. I don't want to rest in the security that God is in control. I want to form and shape my own security. And so when, when I see verses like he's put eternity into their heart, but he hasn't let them understand what it is that I'm actually doing, I look, I look at it and I'm like, man, that is, that is making me mad. I was finna use some, some non-French right there, right? But it's, it frustrates me. I don't like that. You can keep that verse. Tell me about how he has plans that are good for me. Tell me about how he has all the things lined up. Tell me about a revelation, how there's no more tears and there's no more anything because he's present. Give me that story. But the one where I'm sitting in his kindness and I'm having to rest in his goodness and the world around me seems like it's ebbing and it's flowing and I'm receiving things and I'm losing things. And the only thing I have is to rest on him and say, you have to be enough in this life until you take me to the next one. I don't like that. And so you can, you can do this time thing all you want, God. You can do this thing all you want, but I'm going to pick myself back up and I am going to aggressively try to pursue the good, to, 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 to overcome time and to only have the good things, to have my own security because I'm not a fan of this and I'm not going to do this. And so God, what does he do? Right? He just, is he just wait? Just wait, look on with a mixture of compassion and maybe a little bit of frustration at certain points, waiting for us to finally get it, waiting for us to finally know, right, what he's offering. And no one knows if we ever will. Is that what God is doing? If you wrote that down, I want you to scratch it out because that is not what he does. That is not what he does, friend. Because the God that loved you enough to not leave your idols propped up is the same God that loves you enough to not leave you in this type of cycle. I want you to hear what I said again, because the God that loved you enough to not leave your idols propped up, the things that told you, the hevel that told you it was going to satisfy you but left you empty, is the same God that loves you enough to not leave you in this cycle of being washed up against the rock, but it ain't the rock of ages, and then you just keep trying to paddle back out to see. That is not, he doesn't leave us there. Rather, he sends who? Jesus. And so that in him, the rest that he longs to give us will not be a rest that's waiting for us, but a rest that comes to us. And, and the one who existed outside of time before the world begins enters into the world and submits himself to time. He submits himself to time's reign. He perfectly balances the desires of the world and how they, they should have their eternal context that point him back to the Father. He earns the rest that's so great, that God so graciously longs 
to give us, yet he takes the cross as a striver. He takes the cross as an idolater so that the strivers and the idolaters could now find what? Rest in him. And he's on earth and he says words like, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, right? Who strive, who've worked through the idols, who have, who have known the hevel, not just known it, Maybe you're oppressed by it right now. Maybe in this very moment that we're talking, Hevel has you in full oppression because when you look at the time, when you look at, 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 at the reality of the world, you keep striving to only have what makes you comfortable and you believe deeply in your heart that that's going to be what satisfies you. And meanwhile, Jesus enters into the story to take on the, the, the tyranny of time, just so that he can say, now I'm going to give you rest. It's no longer rest that you're invited to, right? I, I'm going to give you rest. And it's, it's why throughout the New Testament, we see these instances where these, these people that follow Jesus, right? They look in the, in the actual situations that they're in, right? You think about something like Acts, I think it's chapter four, right? Where all of a sudden Peter and John are in front of the religious leaders and they're like, hey, we're going to beat you if you keep talking about Jesus. And they go back to the rest of the church and they're like, man, we should celebrate. It's like, what's going on here? What is happening in this moment? And they're like, yeah, because we, we're going to count ourselves worthy of sacrificing for the name of Jesus. And it's like, bro, what is going on here? What is happening here? But the moment, right, what we think is most valuable what we think is most satisfying becomes displaced by the thing that is actually satisfying and the thing that is actually fulfilling. All of a sudden, right, the, what is it, the, the pleasures of this world right, will all fall away. But the old song, but there's something about one, about that name. There's something about this one. That all the tastes of heaven that gave me a taste of what it meant to be satisfied, but ultimately never left me fulfilled. The taste of heaven that I've given myself to over and over again, right? That I've tried to form a life and tried to form meaning and tried to form satisfaction by for years, decades. Maybe you're sitting here, I'm 30. I know I've been giving myself to heaven for a good 25 that I can remember. Maybe you're looking at your life thinking, I got way more years than 25 on you, tasting heaven. And all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, man, I came, I came to give you life. Rather than leaving you with those tastes of heaven, I want to show you what it means to actually have me. Not to be invited to go find me, but to have me, to have me with you. No longer to be the one who, who is washed to and fro, that, that the wave would actually wash you onto the rock of ages. But, but, but to contradict, mis, contradict Mr. Spurgeon a little bit, to have the one who says, I'm with you in the storm, who, who literally rests in the midst of the storm through the gospels. And when he calms the storm, they say, what kind of man is this? The one who actually looks at you and says, behold, I'm with you until the end of the age, right? This is, this is the gospel turn in a story like Ecclesiastes 3. Where, where time oppresses us, right? Time, time moves us. Time rids us of our idols. Time, time lays bare our desires. And God uses in his grace and in his mercy that time to draw us back to himself. And those experiences to draw us back to himself. But it's when Jesus enters the scene here, friends, 
that all of a sudden the narrative changes. And God is not just using time in order to, to point you back to what's beyond time, but now the God who was beyond time enters into time to say, I'm with you. And every day of your life will be marked by my spirit in you. The rest that you long for is not one that you have to search for anymore. It's the rest that you find when my spirit dwells inside of you. To turn to me, to know me, to love me, and to relish in my infinite and merciful love for you. And that's, that's the invitation of the gospel out of a text like Ecclesiastes chapter 3. My question to you, fam, is how are you doing with that? I guess that wasn't my last, this is my actual last question, I promise. How are you doing with that? Hear me, listen to me. If you're not doing well with it, the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of Jesus' presence in this place is that that, that can change right now, right? That you can come to the merciful Father um, who desires uh, through his Son to endow us with rest, to give us rest, right? You can come to him today. Come to him as we sing. You can come to me. I'm going to stand over there, right there. I was there before, right? That's the invitation today. I want to encourage you to take it. If you need prayer for something today, talk to the person next to you. Ask just over the course of the next few songs, just pray with each other. Pursue Jesus together. You don't need me for that, right? But because of that good news of Jesus, your access to God in this moment is not limited on what time is done, but he's with you right now to seek and to know. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time today, Father. Thank you, God, that even before Jesus, the mercy that you show us in, in time, to be honest, just the way you describe it, the way your servant Gohelet described it in Ecclesiastes, this, this severe mercy that, that invites us to have our idols laid bare and to to draw our attention back to trusting and resting in you. And that's already, I think, a good gift. Yet to recognize our weakness in the midst of that pursuit, to recognize our weakness to find rest in you, our weakness believing in our own strength, in fact. You sent the one who was actually strong to become weak and the one who earned rest to find labor and strife, the one who was beyond time to enter into time, also that we who labor in this world could find rest in you, but more than that, so that that rest could pursue us in your indwelling of us. So, Father, help us today. Help us to to seek you, even today. Help us to, to lay our burdens upon you, recognizing the things that we most desire, the acceptance, the security, the approval, right, the 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 justification, right? We find it in you. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 